We can talk about community all we want, but if the community doesn't show up, each of those people doesn't pour into it, you really have nothing either. And I think people forget that because it's really easy to get really busy and you're chasing your own dreams and you're doing your own stuff and it's not convenient. Community is not convenient, but it's necessary. Hey, we're Jan and Erin, the real mother and daughter duo behind the multi-platform brand Trailblazer Co. We've been on the winding road of entrepreneurship together for over 23 years. We've learned a ton about each other, but more importantly, we've each developed ourselves into the women necessary to carry out our biggest dreams. In 2020, we launched an international keepsake magazine called Trailblazer, where we tell the stories and share the wisdom and know-how of rural women across North America. It's been a wild ride, and every day we wake up with grateful hearts to be so immersed in the values and grit of these women. We've been witness to the bold actions, gutsy attitudes, resourcefulness, and the trailblazing traits that modern rural women have. These characteristics allow them to create wholesome, bold, intentional lives. And we're here to deliver and help you explore these traits and attitudes so that you can develop the trailblazer in you, no matter where you live. So buckle up, we're diving in deep to the values, mindsets, attitudes, and tools of trailblazers to help you cultivate a life at the crossroads of grit and passion. Our interview today is the very reason why it's like, pinch me. I'm so glad that we get to share in these conversations with the women that we do. So how do you feel after this interview? I think we interviewed Jessica Garza. I think she is the epitome of what we define as trailblazer. I think if we would have had a checklist in front of us, we would have been ticking the boxes all the way through. She's a gutsy, go for it kind of gal. And her motto in life is, tell me I can't do it and watch me. Hold my beer. I'll show you. <laughs> so here's a little bit about Jessica. So her and her husband, Christopher, are the owners of Moose Valley Ranch, located in Springdale, Washington. They built the business to diversify the family ranch beyond traditional egg and to create growth in her local economy. So Jessica creates community with rural women entrepreneurs through her event Gather and supports other Western small businesses by coordinating a large Western market called Market in the Mountains. Online, she fosters connections in the Pacific Northwest with a virtual rural chamber of commerce and shares on farm safety, business, family, the ranch, and her specialty of crimes against children as a former detective. She is so multi-layered, multi-passionate, and at the root of all that she's doing is community. She's yeah. a natural community builder. Yeah. So check out the podcast episode. You're going to find out why community is one of the big factors in the world today that we all need and how she's gone about growing it and maybe take some ideas away for yourself on how to do that for you, for your business, if you have one, or just life in general. Yep. Enjoy. Jessica, welcome to the Trailblazer podcast. Uh, Mom and I have been talking about this for days. We're so excited to sit down and chat with you today. So first off, just welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and also to mention that Jessica's in our spring 2024 edition of Trailblazer magazine. So you get an opportunity to read about her as a feature. And this uh, is a follow up from that feature. Yeah, right, yes. we have some good things to talk about today. So. so I think we first discovered you on Instagram. I think it was some of your Gather PNW content. And we saw 
this gathering that you were hosting and we saw the flowers and the venue and the mission behind what you're doing. And I think I said to mom, like, check, check this out. Like, look what this gal's doing. And then, so since then, we've probably talked to you, what, three or four different times. It's kind of a conversation that doesn't stop. It just keeps flowing. So today we're finally, we're excited to like capture that, record that. Cause I think. And share you with others. And share you with <laughs> others. Totally. Because at the base of what we're witnessing, what you're creating online and within your community, you're a community builder. So that's what we want to talk about with you today, why that's important to you, what you've got going on. But before we dive in, tell us who you are for our listeners. My name is Jessica Garza. I own a ranch with my husband, Christopher, and we operate out of Springdale, Washington. It's called a ranch because that's what it was historically, but I actually don't own a single cow. So we adopted the name. We kept the name. But my husband and I handle all of, if you think about anything outside of traditional agriculture, we do glamping, hosted hunts, events, community building. We now have a huge Western market. So basically, if you think anything you could do on a ranch that doesn't actually include cows. Innovators, really. Totally. <laughs> you, I, you know, just figuring out how to make it work. And uh, you mentioned market, maybe for the listeners, what is the actual name of your market? Because it's what, twice yearly now? What, once a year, thank goodness. Once a year, two days this year. That was the big change. We went from one day to two days. So it's called Market in the Mountains and it's hosted at our ranch, Moose Valley Ranch. But it was, the name came because it's located in the bottom of the valley between two mountains. And so like we, the whole valley is ours and you kind of come into this horseshoe shaped valley for the market and it's down in the middle. I, I know there's so much to unpack with Market in the Mountains. And I think for us, we've described it or talked about it as it's like a field of dreams moment from the last market that you had and how it's impacted the, the rural and small businesses around you. Before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit about how you landed, where you are on the ranch, whereabouts you are, and kind of the history? Is is this a generational ranch or, or is your family fairly new? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Let's start at the beginning. My parents, my mom is a townie. She was like the dentist's daughter. And my dad was born and raised on a ranch and they were out of Hermiston, Oregon. And so that's where they met. They went to high school together, high school sweethearts, and then started their lives and traveled around. And my dad was always looking for his ranch, his like home to land. And he ended up purchasing the property that it's about 1,200 acres. And he purchased it in a tax auction. He was actually the second place bidder. And so he went home. I think it was Alaska they were living in and didn't tell my mom that he had bid at an auction, did not mention it until all of, because he lost, right? Like there was a first place guy. And then he gets this phone call like, hey, first place can't come up with the money. So you've got 30 days if you want to buy the place to, to come up with it. And so I'm pretty sure then that he had to go tell my mom that he had put a bid in on some land in Washington. So we're in the northeast Washington, northeast Washington, kind of by like Idaho or southern British Columbia. We're about two hours from B.C. and like an hour from Idaho. It's beautiful up here. We're not on the Palouse. Like people think of Eastern Washington, they think like desert, Palouse, wheat country. We're actually up where there's not a super large agricultural industry like that. It's all primarily like logging or cattle ranching. It's, you know, very forested and mountains and things. So, And so then they, did they move right away or what did they do? Well, they kept traveling for work. You know, like it costs money to buy a ranch. So they kept traveling for work. And 
eventually they ended up here about the time I was born. They ended up on the ranch full time and didn't have the caretakers anymore. And so they moved to the area and I grew up with my dad's belief that like you lock the gate at the end of the driveway and nobody needs to come in. He didn't want people in here. This was his refuge, his sanctuary. He didn't like people. He had to be around people for work. And so I think he just kind of was like, I can sit on my tractor. I can do nothing. I am just fine. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom for a long time. And she always joked that Springdale, the town that we are closest to, is like an orange cone in the middle of the road. We just drive around it. That was the rhetoric growing up. And she'll tell you that. And it was really hard because I think people felt like we had a lot of money or we were like hoity-toity and we had scooped. We were outsiders who had scooped up the property, you know, away from someone that was local. And so moving in, and this is all recounted from like my mom's perspective because I was so little, like I didn't know. But she never felt, she never felt like welcomed into the community. She never felt like she had a spot here. She really just battled, I think had some bad experiences and then was just like, I'll go somewhere else. And that was kind of always the rhetoric growing up was that it it just, the opportunity wasn't here. It's not going to be here. If you want to do something outside of sit on a tractor and go in circles, you're going to have to leave and go somewhere else. And I would watch eventually she went back and got her teaching degree and started teaching full time. And she went to a community that was like this big wait time community. And all of a sudden she's in a school They left their lockers open. They hung their Letterman jackets on their lockers and nobody stole it. And that was like, that was like earth shattering to me. What do you mean? This community is so strong that like they knew they could go borrow a pencil out of someone's backpack and then just put it back. And I was at a school where you couldn't set something down or it would just walk away. And so that was really, that was hard. So that was shaping what sense of belonging was meaningful for you like whether it was or whether it wasn't when you look back on that now have you challenged that that belief or that sense of feeling like you belong like you're integrating all the rest of it because you've you've been there your whole life now I did I left briefly I went to Montana I call it my grand adventure I left got a career and a husband and a child and came back and then had my second child but I did I left for a long time with no intention of returning because I really didn't see how it would fit. I There's not enough acreage to support two households. Like traditionally, if you're just talking, putting up hay, there's not enough. There, there isn't enough. It doesn't produce enough. There's some things on the property like easements and dealing with NRCS and conservation. So I don't know if you guys have that, but conservation services. Something similar. Yeah. yeah. And so it was like, I'm just going to have to go and, and do my own thing and make my way. And when I moved to Montana, I never intended on coming home. I went over and became a police officer. It's Montana Highway Patrol, like on Yellowstone. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Like they got the gods in green or whatever. I don't know what they're calling them now on the Yellowstone episodes, but where they're traveling with Kevin Costner and they're like, that's executive dignitary protection. But it was actually like a whole thing you could, once you were done, like once you got enough experience, you could apply to be on the executive protection team in Helena. So, so what drew you back? Yeah. We were stationed really rurally. So my husband and I were stationed in the town of Cutbank, which is, we joked that it was Southern Alberta. It was so cold. And you either lived in town or you lived on 20,000 acres outside of town, right? Like there was no, oh, live in the country. We can have this sort of lifestyle. 
So we lived in town. Everybody knew where the trooper house was because there was two trooper vehicles out front. And we had our first kid. We were working opposite shifts. We had like one of us would get up at seven, go to work seven to, to five, seven to five. And the other one would check on shift at five and work from five until three. And we would just hand off the baby and you would just try to sleep when you could sleep because there was no like daycare for a kid that young. We didn't have any family over there. We had a few friends that would help and that was so appreciated. But all of a sudden it was just like, man, this is really hard. And my husband's from Washington State, which I think made it easier because we were realizing that our parents were all driving over every time we were traveling back and forth to the same spot. And so finally it was like, maybe we ought to go home. Maybe we ought to move a little closer. And we both had some experience at that point and decided to to move back and still not with the intention of being on the ranch. We moved back. We moved to a place off the ranch. My husband got his job right away. I took a year off and had a baby because it's really hard to be a police officer and have a baby. Nobody talks about that when you're going through the academy as a young female. Like eventually you're going to want to start a family. And I don't know if you've ever thought about what it takes to like put a gun belt over a baby bump. Like these big gun belts. And then you're like zipping up this big um, bulletproof vest. Right. And like as women, it's already really sensitive and you're pregnant. And then you're putting on like 40 pounds of gear and then making a traffic stop while you're sick. That was I will never forget. I was on the side of I-15 outside of Shelby, Montana. And I went up and I was like, hi, ma'am, I'm at the time, I, I was Trooper Garza. I'm Trooper Garza with Montana Highway Patrol, and I stopped you for speed, blah, blah, blah. Can I get your license, registration, proof of insurance? And I walk back to my patrol car. So I've got an offender right in front of me, right? Sure, they were very nice people. I don't remember who they were, but I'm sure they were nice. But they're not always. And all of a sudden, I'm in the back of my patrol car, and I'm like, <laughs> like, I don't feel good at all. And I'm like shaking. And I still had to finish the traffic stop and write the ticket. And I got back in my patrol car and I was like, I am never doing this again, ever. So when we moved home and we were like, yeah, we know we don't want an only we're having another baby. I was like, oh, I'm taking a little break. So I took my break and then went back full time with the local sheriff's office here. And so that was kind of how we moved home. And we would just come over and recreate at the ranch. We would just come ride four wheelers or I don't know if they needed help with something, you know, be like an extra set of hands. And there was really, it wasn't until we started spending more and more time here that it was like, man, if we're going to, if we're going to be here and we're going to potentially inherit this or have some sort of it, we, we were, it was planning our retirement out. We had this grand goal, like, okay, you work for 25 years. The goal is your house is paid off before you retire. That's always the joke in cop world that like, if you don't pay your house off before you retire, then you have to work longer. And so we're going through all this stuff and we're like, well, if we retire and our house is paid off, that's great. But the property taxes on that much acreage are more than a mortgage every month. Oh, right. every month. Oh, oh, every month. Yeah. More than what our mortgage was at the time. And so we're like, dang. So even if we pay our mortgage off, and retire and do really good saving and all this stuff, we're going to end up with a bill bigger than a mortgage to keep the property or you're going to have to sell. And so it was like, well, this better start paying for itself at some point. Yeah. And then did the creative juices start flowing? You started thinking of brainstorming ideas or what road did you take? Yeah, that it was really like, what can we do to create enough business income to justify hanging on to the property because we're watching we're in like an urban sprawl kind of area we're just starting to really see it 
especially since COVID, because we're only about an hour. We're an hour from a major airport. We're an hour from a big town that has like everything, an Apple store. What else is important? I don't know. There's the Apple store. There's a Nike store, Costco, all those things. And so all of a sudden people are getting priced out of the more, the 35 minute area. And now they're starting to push out and you're seeing these land prices. And it's like, how do you justify holding on to that much land if it's not profitable? Because for the longest time, it was just a giant backyard for my parents and kind of a hobby, give my brother some cash flow through college, that sort of thing. But when you're talking about supporting a family and paying for all of that and the upkeep, just the upkeep alone is overwhelming. So we just started spitballing ideas and it was like, well, I'm not going to sit in a tractor. It's not my passion. I work 40 plus 40 to 60 hours a week at the time, depending on what my caseload looked like. And so, and my brother did that. So there just wasn't a place for me. There was no option. So I just started like, well, what could I do? The ranch is about half timber, half farm ground. So I was like, what could I do on the side of the road over here in a little pocket that he's not cutting for hay, but it has a road. Like, how could I fit in that little? And it was like, oh, I could put a glamping tent there. I could do, I could put a little glamping tent. And and growing up, I mean, every time friends would come over, it was like, oh my God, this place, right? Like, holy smokes. It's it's the valley that everybody knows. They drive down, like it's right on a main highway. So it's not one of these kind of hidden gyms. Like people will come up now at market. They'll walk up to me and they'll be like, I have driven past this since I was a little girl. And I've always wondered what the back of the valley looks like. Or like, I've always wanted to live in this house. There's an old it's not livable, but there's like this old white house that you can see from the highway. And they like so many stories or like my great grandmother's son rented the place. And I remember, you know, so we're hearing more and more of that as I've like gotten out into the community more. My parents never heard that when they were when I was younger. We really just were trying to figure out how can we capitalize on sort of that not shock and awe, but like there's this feeling out there. It's very much um, there is some Native American. We're right off of a reservation. And so there's some folk folklore. I don't know what the right term is for it, but there's some talk about the valley and what its significance was to the tribe. And it's a tributary to their water sources. We're on their Shimacane watershed. And you just you walk out in the middle of the valley and it's like a feeling I can't I can't even describe it short of like magical. The very first market we did, the moon was rising and like the whole field went silent and everybody kind of turned and was watching this full moon rise and everybody was just like, wow, it was like this goosebump. This is really cool. And I was like, man, we're onto something. Yeah, I can. I just got goosebumps yeah, same. when you described it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I sense that. Ah, there's nothing like the nostalgic smell and feel of turning the pages of a real print publication, collecting and cherishing the stories and wisdom within its pages to draw upon time and time again. Hey, we're Jen and Erin, creators and founders of Trailblazer Magazine, and we're all about helping you carve out time for yourself. We encourage getting lost in the world of breathtaking photos and immersive storytelling. Trailblazer Magazine is the perfect companion for those wanting to grow the trailblazer within. By exploring the stories, wisdom, and know-how of modern rural women, you'll feel inspired, empowered, and connected to the spirit of life beyond the city limits. 
visit www.trailblazerco.com to shop all issues. You're definitely wanting to collect them all. So what came first? You, you got Gather PNW, and can you, if you can describe that, what that is all about, and then Market in the Mountains, what was the progression? Because these are big moves for you to start building this community or rallying women in your area. Like, how did that all... And I also want to know, because I know we've talked about your relationship with your dad, and you're very close with your dad. He feels very differently about a lot of things. So you've really had... You've stretched his mindset in him being open to these new opportunities that you're bringing to the ranch, right? Yeah, it started really small. So it started, my brother's girlfriend's friend at the time took pictures of them, you know, like they're in the dating relationship and like she was in school for photography and she was like, I want to take, you know, it's so beautiful out here. I want to come out here. Um, And she was awesome. I love her. Her name is Alex. She's still one of my dear friends. And she was out taking pictures and and she's like, man, I would pay to come back and do this like with other like I know you let your brother and, and the girlfriend at the time do it. But like, could I bring a couple that that you didn't know out? And I was like, why would you pay me to come out here? And she's like, you can't find like this is a space that no one else has is using. That's like a big thing, especially on on the Internet to like have these backdrops and things that like other photographers don't have access to. And I was like, oh, so she really encouraged me to start thinking about like the monetary value just of access to it. And it is a very unique ranch. There's no one else that lives in the valley. The views, the sweeping, like it's not like going out to we have this area called Green Bluff where they're kind of touristy. They like the pumpkin patches and the you pick apples and you can see like four more farms from the farm right out here that we're it like that's the only thing in the valley. And so I started started talking to her more. And then one of my friend's daughter-in-laws wanted to get married out here. And she's like, it'll just be a small wedding. It's just, she's always loved it out there, the valley. We had gone to high school around the same time. And she remembered it from like, I don't know, some night that we all went out on four wheelers or something. And can she get married out there? And I was like, welcome to Moose Valley Ranch. How can I help you with your wedding services? And I, I talked to my dad and he was like, absolutely not. You will not accept money in, ter- in exchange for there's a difference here. If you take money for that, it becomes a commercial enterprise, which then opens us up to liability. If we're doing something for a friend, because he had let me do like little things for friends here and there and he didn't care. But the minute that money exchanged hands, he was like, Whoop, time out. Nope not without liability insurance. And I was like, what's liability insurance and how does somebody get that? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, figure it out. If you want to do it, figure it out. And I was like, man, I really think we should. I really think we can do this. My husband's like, sounds crazy. Let's do it. He's all in. And so then all of a sudden I'm figuring out my dad was adamant. We incorporate not just an LLC. So it's like more paperwork down here, different tax structures. But his whole thing is like, if you're incorporated, He's always protecting the land. And his whole thing is, if people are going to come after us for anything, it's going to be the land. So you got to protect the land. So here I form a corporation. I'm on the phone. I'm trying to find liability insurance, um, making all the calls, figuring out what that is. And so my first wedding paid for a whole year of liability insurance for me. That was my goal. Fantastic. Okay. Okay. And then I was like, the rest we can figure out. The rest, like, okay, if, if dad says this is my requirement, and I want to do this, then then let's go. And I I talked to my husband and he was like, let's sure try, go for it. So we started with that wedding. And then 
it snowballed from there. So I started letting photographers come in, which then meant I got super great images, high res. Like it made Instagram a lot easier for me or social media because I had these beautiful photos. I had a failed pumpkin patch, which is like, I was just having this conversation with a friend that people don't talk about the fa failures, right? You asked me about like gather and market and all this stuff. How did I get there? But one year I had a pumpkin patch and I like advertised there was going to be pumpkins and sunflowers and you come out. And then September, I think it was September 14th, we got a frost. And my dad had warned me when I planted this. He was like, I don't know what you're doing here, kiddo. This is the coldest spot on the ranch. Like this is it's great ground, but it's the first thing that's going to freeze. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be it's going to be great, dad. I got this. Got this. He's like, OK, OK. And then sure enough, it killed everything. I remember walking out in the rows of pumpkin. I mean, I had like 300 pumpkin plants and seven rows of sunflowers and it was all dead. Like everything. Oh, like, oh. Yeah, didn't make a thing. I mean, I, and I spent that whole summer watering, weeding. I erected a temporary movable deer fence. Like I buried pipe in the ground and then I had six foot stakes that could go in the pipe with six foot deer fencing so I could take it off when I didn't, when I wanted like pictures and stuff. And it was all a failure, like massively. I haven't thought about that in a long time. So we went there and I was like, we got to learn from this. We got to do something different. This isn't sustainable. The amount of work that it took and you just everything that went along with it, it was like, okay, that's probably, probably not going to do a pumpkin patch right now. And so then I just started what can I do? And it was really that trial and error and that not being afraid yeah. to fail again, which was the great part for me, right? I don't, I, I'm lucky. I didn't have to pay the mortgage on the land. So if I failed, I just didn't make money, but I didn't lose my house. I was still working full-time. I wasn't trying to pay any of my living expenses. And that really gave me a head up, head start of the ability to fail. And I think that's like something that's so important to me to continue is like that sort of responsible building of the company and the community and things like that to where you never get to the point where you can't fail. Like where you get stuck between a rock and a hard place and you're, you know what I mean? And you don't have a choice. I always want to make sure that there, there's an out. And that's probably my dad's way of thinking is like, there's always got to be a plan B. There's always got to be a way that we can shift or move or do things and never putting yourself in a situation where like it's live or die. So that was my first big failure. So from pumpkin patches, then I got a glamping tent and it just sort of kept growing and people would slide into my DMs and ask questions. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, I can actually, I can do that. Sure. I can pull that off. Like I would Google contracts. We wanted to do snowshoeing one year. We had enough snow to go snowshoeing, help a rescue, my friend's rescue, because she goes, you can't take your dog snowshoeing hardly anywhere like that's kind of commercialized. I'm like, you could bring dogs out here. I don't care if you want to bring your dog out. Cool. So then I'm on the local ski resorts, terms and conditions and liability waivers. And I'm like, OK, this is a winter sport. I need this paragraph. I need this paragraph. Putting it all together. And we just kind of kept spreading like spider webs. Wow. Okay. I, I want to add here because I'm thinking of our interview for the feature article and I'd written down what you said is that you're always focused on doing what others do. Like you go in the opposite direction. If somebody says you can't do it, you just, I'll sh watch me, I'll show you. And so I'm hearing this theme come up 
this kind of exuberance and boldness. Yeah. yeah. Where do you think that comes from? Is that is that your makeup as a person? Is that the way you're wired? Or did life's circumstances lead you to that? I'm I mean, I'm really curious to know. I mean, I definitely think part of that is my parents. My mom is so strong. Like she is just like a take no prisoners, right? She was a high school teacher and man, she just kept those high schoolers on a tight rope. I grew up hearing you're a bulldozer. You're a bulldozer. You just don't put an obstacle in front of her because she will just run right through it as hard as she can. And they both of my parents encouraged me growing up. Try it. Do it. You never know. Like you, you can succeed. You just got to work harder or, or we'll figure out a way to make this happen. And so I think growing up that way and then with two parents that were really strong and they were never afraid to fail. I mean, truly, if you look back at it and, and their life and kind of their transition through things, man, I don't know many people that have like bought apartment buildings and has stories to tell of like cleaning out four stories of septic drain pipe. That was the moment he decided he really didn't want to be an apartment landlord anymore. And it's like, so you just decided to buy an apartment building and then, and you know, get out of it. And then you've got my mom here who just like dived in and decided it when she still had kids in school. She's like, I'm going to go back and get my degree and then I'm going to get my master's degree. And then when I need to, I'm going to move to the West side and I'm going to take a full-time job. And they just never kind of hesitated to sort of, if there was an opportunity and they wanted to chase it to go. So I think I saw that and they didn't work for anyone else for a really long time. So entrepreneurial hood didn't scare me because I grew up with a dad who worked for himself. And I think they just kind of instilled that. And then me as a person, right? Like I'm not a quiet person. You will never meet anyone that will describe me as quiet or chill. I just kind of have this inherent drive. And that's part of probably what made me good as a female in law enforcement and that probably only fostered it even more. There's two two ways a, a woman kind of goes in law enforcement. And I very much took the path of like, I will fit in with the boys and I will compete with the boys. And I will like my sexuality as a female did not. It was determined it would never impact my job performance. It would never be, you know, so you kind of you get really rough and you get really thick skinned and you learn to take it like the boys give it because otherwise you, they'll destroy you in the different just sort of trainings and stuff. So I think that kind of all melded together to create an unstoppable force. And I we witnessed that on your like social media, even your Instagram, you've got your bold yet you're vulnerable and authentic, but you are just honest and you call things out that you see and and I and that's why people love you because they know that you'll never BS them. And if you see something that's not right online, you you address it and you talk about it. And is that why is that important to you, especially on social media? I don't know if you guys do Enneagram at all, but I'm an Enneagram eight and I, I'm not like super into it. I've just took a test and then read, you know, and you catch those like posts and stuff. But I'm definitely an Enneagram eight and acknowledging injustice is incredibly important to me. Like there is nothing that gets me more than if someone wants to sweep something under the rug or talk backwards and say one thing and then come say another. And then you add that to the sort of background of, you know, finding the truth, right? As a cop, like that's your, that's your job is to try to, to sort through 
these factors and then pull out what actually happened. Like, what do we have that we can prove? Where are we at? That sort of like investigation mind. And then seeing a lot of the bad, I'm not afraid of it. It doesn't it doesn't scare me. Somebody says they don't like me. I'm like, yeah, that guy two weeks ago, I arrested threatened to kill me. So if you don't like me, cool. There's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. It doesn't my worth isn't in their value because I've had to toughen to that, right? Like the first time somebody's like, you're a horrible person. I can't believe you do what you do. And I've been called everything under the sun by someone that's drunk and doesn't want to go to jail or, or, you know, doesn't like the fact that they got caught doing something they shouldn't have. So then when someone online is like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. I'm like, really? You know, somebody's got to say it. So I don't shy away from that. And I don't want, I had a really horrible experience when I first kind of dived into Instagram and business and I met someone and I was like, very well-known, very well-known, very popular, the tons of followers and the high price admission to access to them, whatever you want to call it. And it was like, you're awful. Like you're nothing like what you present. You are online, this cheerleader, this community builder, this resource for women. And then I meet you and it's not at all authentic. And I think that really like hammered home initially that I never wanted someone to come up and meet me in real life and be like, that's not, that's not her. Once I had that, then it was just like, all right, gloves are off. Like I'm going to be me and I'm going to find the people that are drawn to me. And I always say it's just a faster way to get to the end, right? Because I either attract you or I repel you way quicker than anyone else. And that just means I dive in to who needs to be there and I'm not keeping all this fluff around. So if I repel you, that's cool too. There's somebody else out there for you. And it happens in our local community. I mean, there's times, you know, you meet somebody and you just like, it's that instant like, whoa, okay, we're not diving. And I may have to see him at the post office for the rest of my life and that's okay. I'll be polite. But that was the other thing, being a cop in your own community. You don't get the option who you're around or who you're exposed to. You kind of have to maintain this sort of like professional I'm here, I'm doing my job. And if you don't like it, that's okay, but I'm here. And so again, it just doesn't, it doesn't really rattle me. Can you describe what is Market in the Mountains? And because I love the story that you tell, and especially with your relationship with your dad, how he was like, this isn't a good idea. Have you thought of this, this, this? And then, and then the cars coming in. I just, I love that story. Like it's such an inspiration. Can you share a little bit about Market in the Mountains and, and what it is? My poor dad, like he's, he's a dreamer, but he's a dreamer on paper and he's probably got file folders full of different schemes or like ideas. I don't know. Things. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Ideas, whether it's new water lines and how he would run them or if he was going to go build, he loves prepping stuff. Right. So he's got like these plans for a cabin in the back made from his own trees with his own water, but I don't know that he'll ever get there. I had been doing Gather for a while, which was our community. It's our event where we bring together women rural entrepreneurs. And every time we did a Gather, especially in the beginning, we were kind of realizing we had a gap. Like the first one, we were like, oh, we're just going to get together for dinner. We're going to chat and like meet other. We're going to get off the farm. We're going to get off of the farm, off of Instagram, sit down at a table with other rural women entrepreneurs, and we're going we're gonna to meet each other. And everybody was like, it was really good. But we were kind of missing, like, they felt like there needed something. And I'm like, a keynote speaker. We needed like a, like a thing. So then we added keynote speaking. And that was great. We had a couple of those. It was awesome. And then it was like, we were realizing 
the girls would go the whole night and then be like, oh my gosh, you're the one that does the purses. Oh my God. Like I followed you and they didn't know it because like it just wasn't connecting. So we tried like name tags, like, hello, my name is Jessica and I own Moose Valley Ranch. But girls don't like that because we always do very bougie events. And so if you put a name tag over the top of your beautiful outfit, the girls, like, they just start disappearing like 10 minutes after they put them on. They're like in their purse or they're clipped to the side. Like they don't want their name tags on. And it was like, man, I wish like girls need to see who else is here because you can only like make deep conversation with so many women in an evening. And so then they would be like, oh, she was I didn't even know that there was a girl who did apparel and my business is looking for custom apparel or um, there's a girl who who owns a tire shop with her husband and like my ranch could use new tractor tires and I, well, I would want to support her because she's in Gather. And so I was like, well, we should like set up, like bring a table and set up what you do. And so we had a Gather where we did that. And I'll never forget this, Carrie with Bison Tire, this cute little blonde. And I didn't, she randomly came to a Gather. Like I didn't know her personally, had never met her, had never been to their tire shop. She saw rural women entrepreneur and she was like, I'm going to this event. And she came. And when we did that, here comes this little teeny tiny blonde across the field. And she is rolling this huge tire, like this awesome mounted tire rolling across the field. And I tell you what, everybody that was at that gather was like, they will never forget that Carrie is the tire girl. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Because it stuck out to them. So I was like, okay, we're on to something. And the pictures came back. And girls could shop. Like a few people brought some samples. And then other people like Carrie had like a tire and some brochures. Some of the boutiques brought like little racks of clothes and stuff. Well, next thing I know, the girls are shopping. I couldn't get them to like move underneath for the keynote speaker. You know, we're like, okay, time out. Dinner is ready. Like we got to, you got to stop. Put your wallets away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to stop mingling and, and go inside. And then online, all of a sudden I started getting, and this is where I say DMs every time. What was this? How do we shop this? Is this open to the public? Because I, whatever was on that table, I want what's on that table. And I'm like, no, this was just for the girl, like for the entrepreneurs. This is private. And I was like, well, that's dumb. I should probably do this so that people can come shop if they want to come shop that much. And so it was truly those DMs. And I thought, well, let's do a market. Let's make a market. You know, here are these rural women entrepreneurs already, you know, are trying to find a place to sell and talking about, you know, I'd gone down to Pendleton and seen the the booths there. NFR has always been on my bucket list. But then I would go to like the craft fair here and like, I'm not, I'm not buying any of it. I, you know, you go to the local high school and you wander and maybe you buy your kid, like, I don't know, some string art or a stuffy or something, but it's never something that I like have to have. Right. And I'm like, I want to shop where I really want to spend a lot of money. And, and that was what these girls were doing. They're making the fringe purses, the turquoise jewelry, the earrings. They've got the cute, the Western style shirts. And the and so this idea for a market was born. And I was so terrified it was going to fail. The, the first one I kept to four hours because in my head I was like, if they're going to sit in the field and no one comes, I don't want them sitting there all day. Like, can you imagine like you're out in a field, everyone's sitting at their booths or standing at their booths and they're like, so where are all the people? It could be really bad. And then I was just picturing myself like walking around having to apologize to these businesses like, sorry, you paid $60 and you sat here for four hours and nobody came. 
And so I kept it really short. I kept it very, very inexpensive. It was 60 bucks. And I sent out a box of goods worth $60 to them as their welcome box. So what they paid me didn't even cover like anything for the day of. It literally just covered the cost of me shipping them back this like welcome box. Like I wanted this this unboxing experience. I wanted them talking about it on social media so that their followers saw this and were like, what is it? That's really cool. Like, why'd they get this box? What's happening with this thing? And my dad was like, that's the stupidest business decision you could have ever made. Like, you're not even making any money. I'm like, thanks. I uh, super appreciate your faith in me. And he's the whole time he's saying this. He's like, what's your plan when nobody shows, when no one shows up? And I'm like, I think people are going to show up. And he's like, mm. I no one's driving to Springdale. Like in his head, right? We're so far out. And we really are. Like no one yeah. enjoys driving out here. Friends don't enjoy driving out if they got to hang out. Like I don't love having to drive an hour to get groceries. But I got, I was getting like 60 women regularly to drive out here for gather events. And people had started to know that like, like you said, the flowers and the food, it was always like a thing, right? Because I'm not paying money to go sit at a conference table with disposable forks, unless it's like a really good like lesson or, or I want to learn what they're teaching. I'm not going to like, it's got to look nice. It's got to, it's got to be at a certain level to justify like this is a thing. And so I did that with Market. That was the boxes. Like the, I got a branding iron custom made with mountains on it so that when they got the box, like it was branded with a with a mountain on the front of it. And when they opened it, it was packed very nicely and had their name on it and all this stuff. And he just was like, I don't think this is going to work. And I was like, this is awful. Now I have the potential to fail these businesses who have at this point invested in me. I mean, truly. You come together multiple times and you are investing in me and in the community and trusting me to pull this off. And then then there's my dad who's just, where are you going to put cars? Like, let's say someone does show up. Where are you going to put the cars? And I'm like, the field. And he's like, no one wants to park in the field. And I'm like, they do it all the time at the fair. And like, I don't know. So I just kept going. I just kept ignoring him. And I every time I'd go up to his house that summer, there would be like, a, did you think about this? Do you have a plan for that? Has anybody even bought a ticket? And I was like, okay, we're just going to do this. And so I didn't realize how much work it would take. And then I get to the week of, and the night before, I was like, we sold 189 tickets. Like, I know there's 189 people coming in four hours. Like, that's not bad traffic for, especially for rural people to think about. getting. If you get 200 people through a store in four hours, you're doing really good. And so I'm like, this is so good. And I didn't check ticket sales again. And my mom, the night before the event, she goes, honey, did you look at the the town Facebook page? And and her face, like her, I can remember, I crawled in because I didn't want to sleep where my family was because, you know, it's so hard to like get up and get going and get out the door with the kids. So I was like, I'm going to stay. I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to be out till as late as I need to. You put the kids to bed and then I'm going to go crash at my parents and get right back up. And then when you guys are good in the morning, you come find me. Okay, so. I go into my parents' house at like 1.30 in the morning and my mom's bedroom door opens and she's in her house coat and she comes in and she's very serious and she has her phone and she's like, did you, did you see the Facebook page? And I'm like, what Facebook page, mom? I'm like, I don't, I haven't even had time to like look at my phone much less because it's so much work to put a market on and it really is. And she's like, this guy wrote a really mean thing on the, the local Facebook page 
about how he would never pay money to come shop and how, you know, like just this nasty review. And I was like, God bless our town. God bless our town. And I was like, I looked at her and I distinctly remember. And she was just like, she was trying so hard to protect me, I think, you know, and didn't want me to be blasted the next day or whatever and like not realize that this was what was happening. And I turned to her and I was like, that's not my ideal customer. And my ideal customer will drive out here and they will shop and they will understand the value of it. And she was just like, yes, they will, honey. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go to bed now. I feel really tired, very emotional. And I was so mad. And so I get up the next morning and we're setting up for market. And like I said, so much money. Like people don't know, just our bathrooms for market alone are like $2,500. Because I do really, I was so adamant that I didn't want to be like the barter fair down the road because we have this barter fair. And as a cop, I've responded to it. And there are people tripping on acid with BO and dreadlocks running through the woods, like school buses parked alongside the highway. Like I would never take my family there. I would never, nothing there do I, I don't want to purchase patchouli oil and tie dye, like not my thing at all. And so I was like, whatever I do, I will not be like the barter fair. I will not. This is going to be something unlike Springdale's ever seen before. And so of course I can't have poor potties then. I need the luxury bathroom toilets. So there I was with my business card and I'm like, $2,500 for toilets seems fair. It's worth it. My dad's like, what? What? You paid how much for toilets? And I'm like, but every woman is going to remember when she shows up and she doesn't have to like hold her breath and go in and hope she doesn't touch anything in the porta potty, right? She's going to remember that. So I did it and we're setting all these things up and the vendors and, and my dad was just on me because now he's stressed right because like now we know I've sold almost 200 tickets people are showing up businesses are showing up he's like you know where's the no smoking signs and I was just like I, I don't have any and if you want them go to the house and print them off yourself because I don't have time to do this right now like dates open in 40 minutes and now you want no smoking signs like you see someone smoke smack it out of their hands I don't know what you want me saying use your timing dad come on yeah like where are we now? this this is the time really this is where okay and it, and it takes like 20 minutes to get from where we are on the ranch to like the only place there was a printer so I was gonna spend 45 minutes just getting over there typing it out printing it off and running back and I'm like nope I'm out I'm done and my friend Kendall who helps me she loves she was a farmer's market guru and like ran the farmer's market and stuff and so she had come down to help me like organize vendors and kind of do the back end. And she saw that my dad was just like, you know, right here and I'm spinning. And she was like, Lester, if any cars come through, it's very dry. It's very dusty when the food's like right there. And then there's the road and like, here's a hose. It would be so helpful if you would go water the road down. And I remember he just like latched onto that. Like he needed a job. I didn't recognize that. Kendall recognized that. Thank God for good friends, right? Yes. She job. He's up there and he's got his back to the highway. And the countdown's on, right? Like it's set to start at 4 p.m. And it's 3.45 and he's up there watering the road. And all of a sudden cars start pulling in off the highway. And then cars are stopped on the highway because they can't pull in fast enough. And then I'm I'm looking and I, I'm looking at the businesses to see if they see the cars. And then I'm looking at the highway because then there's like the public safety side of me that's like, oh, my God, nobody get hurt. We have like a really bad corner and people don't pay attention. So I'm just like, oh, God, the cars are on the highway. And then I'm looking back at the businesses and all of a sudden I look up at my dad and he's got the hose and he's just black jawed. And he's like, 
as he's watching these cars pull in. And I don't think I saw him the rest of the night really at all. I, I don't even know. Like it was all a blur. We were just running. You know, if it wasn't like, oh my God, there's so many people here where the trash cans are overflowing. Like I thought I had more than enough trash cans. No, there's like piles of garbage. So then it's like, quick, get in the side by side, run to the house, get the trash bag, run back, you know, and we're just like handling all of this. We had lines for the wagon rides. We had but the food line was like over an hour because people were just stacked like this whole line because only one food vendor showed up. Food vendors are notoriously hard to deal with. And I had two last, I was supposed to have three. I had two like last minute total shitty. I, they will never come to my market cancellations. So I had to call the one food vendor up the night before. And I was like, listen, we sold 200 tickets the night before. I know we're going to sell more the day of and like bring whatever food you have. Like, I don't care if you need to go get hot dogs at Costco. I don't care. They have a restaurant. I was like, I don't care if you need to pull your stock from the restaurant. Like there's going to be people, they're going to need food. And I just wanted you to know it's a lot more than we were thinking. And you're the only one coming. And they were like, what? 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 And I'm like, yep. Okay. So we were having like all these crises happen. And my poor dad is just watching this and he's like, what kind of business doesn't show up? Didn't they say they were going to show up? And I'm like, yep, dad. Okay. We're just like plan B here. Like you taught me plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. There's always a way to go. We're going to figure this out. And so the whole night was spent running around and I didn't see him. And then the next morning, cause we do like camping and you can camp in the field and a bunch of the vendors and some of our friends stayed or brought their, their trailers up. So we were like cooking breakfast where everyone was at. And all of a sudden he comes out in his truck. My dad always wears, if people are around, he's either got his orange shirt on or he's got like a very nice button down, but it's always this blue and white button down, has a little pocket, kind of like what I'm wearing. And he usually keeps a pen and sometimes like a little scrap of paper in there. And he walked up to me and we are just, I think everyone was running on fumes. We were up to like midnight trying to pay out the bar and pay out the food vendors because we did like $5 credits with each ticket. They had to turn in their stuff. And we had finally figured out we actually sold over 400 tickets. So we did double our ticket sales in the last 24 hours, but I had no idea of it. People were sure I had no plans to take cash at the gate because I'm like, you're not driving out to Springdale without a ticket, right? Like who would set out for that destination without already having their ticket? So tickets are available online. You'll buy online, right? At the end of the night, the lady that I had at the gate walked up to me with like a bundle of cash. And she goes, Jessica, people were just showing up at the end of the road. I don't know if I could take it or not, but I was letting them in because they were handing me $20 bills. And like, here's the wad of cash. And I'm like, what? And she said, yeah, they didn't realize that we wouldn't sell tickets, didn't sell tickets at the gate at that time. And so there was someone out there that was like, I've got a hundred dollar bill. You guys can Venmo me. I can get five in. And they were like, people were out at the end of the road, like whoever had cash getting in the car that needed, that didn't have cash and didn't have a ticket yet. And so she hands me this thing and I'm like, okay. So I counted out and I divided by 20 and I'm trying to figure out like, okay, about how many people came in. Then we did the math and anyways, 430, we had 189 at 1 a.m. the day before. And my dad walks down and he goes, he pats his chest. He's very serious, right? He's like, I have some thoughts on how we can do this better for next year. And I'm like, can we, can we have like an acknowledgement of you actually did it before we get into like, and here's how it wasn't so great and let's do a better job. Like, you don't need to tell me that we needed more food. Uh, yeah. So that was his take. I like how he used we. Yes. It was like instant ownership, you know? I don't, I don't think he realized. I think that was kind of everything up until that point. I'd been like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, she's got, she's, she's hosting hunts at the back. And like, you wouldn't even see the hunters, right? They're so far from the house. You don't even see them. He wouldn't have to talk to them. I would drive them back, set them up, 
and leave. He would make jabs about me being on my phone all the time, you know, like, oh, what are you doing on your phone again? Freaking millennials or whatever. And I don't think he realized like the scope that it had grown to online because he hadn't ever seen it. He's not. I mean, he is sort I made him an Instagram, but he like doesn't even know how to open it on his phone. And so he had no concept of like followers and relationships. And like I had built relationships. One of my dear friends mm -hmm. runs like a local blog. And from the minute I told her about this, she's like, I'm there. I'm there. Can I do it? Can I take over? Can I like, what do you need help with? And so she's on, you know, she'll she'll take my phone and she'll just go walk around in story. And like everyone in the area recognizes her for who she is. And, and people go places because she recommends it. And he had no clue that like when I'm headed off for girls night, it's fostering these sorts of relationships with other women that that can create that. And so I think that was kind of his like, oh, wow. And then because some guy on Facebook left a really mean comment on this local page, I made sure to put out at the end of it. I did this post. We had raised, I don't even remember now, but thousands of dollars for a horse charity from our bar because our bar benefits Lucky Break Ranch, which is Kate's horse rescue. In our state, that's the easiest way to get a liquor license is to partner with a nonprofit. But then all the proceeds from the bar go to the nonprofit. And so we facilitated all of that. And so I did this big post. Like we say, we raised this much money for horses and we had approximately 430 people come through that supported. I think our first year we had like 50 or 60 businesses. And I kind of did this like wrap up. And then people started messaging me and they were like, my God, I bet you made so much money. You know, like I'm getting these comments and I'm like, no. So I put in my stories, I was like, gross ticket. Like I did vendor sales, vendor boxes, that's a wash. And then I started laying out that I did ticket sales. So 430 at $20 a pop and what that was. And then I started listing expenses and I posted like you want to talk about raw and vulnerable like it showed that I made like 230 bucks or something off that and I'm like if you knew that I spent every day for a year working on this if it, it at least one thing every single day had to be done to get it to this point and the sheer amount of hours leading up to it the hours that weekend the hours cleaning up after the fact all of that I'm like, dude, if, if I got paid by my time, I'd be like negative $70 an hour by the time you accounted for all of that. And so I shared that. And I think people were really like shocked to see kind of that behind the scenes and what that looked like. But I didn't shy away from sharing it because it's the truth, right? We've seen this big influx in the area. We lost a huge festival that we've had here because all of a sudden the people that were running it wanted to not do it anymore. They want to retire. And nobody had been volunteering or stepping up to be a part of this, right? Because like, nobody has time. I'm so busy. I don't want to do anything. So all of a sudden, they just like, they just like close. They're just like, there's no Chautauqua next year. Sorry. It was like one of the biggest local sort of like town festivals near us. And it was just gone. And people are in an uproar, right? On Facebook. How can we not have a Chautauqua? How that, this is like, a, we've been going for 35 years. And it's like, because none of you want to do the work. Like the torch. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Nobody wants to show up. It's inconvenient. It takes too much. People always criticize you. And so I was like, we didn't have anything uber successful in our town. And like a typical small town, it's it's taken up with 
infighting and, and history and who pissed off who 25 years ago. And there's all these like political things. And I was like, screw that. I'll build it outside of town. I'll build it outside of town. It'll be in my control. I can run it. And at least the work that I put into it, I have the deciding factor in. And so I kind of just went that route. And then it got even bigger last year. I mean, it exploded. You're talking a 300% increase in attendance. We went from 430 to over 1300 ticket sales. We pushed up to 75 businesses. We had three times as much food. We hired a parking crew and we filled the whole field. And they were like, what's the backup plan? And I'm like, go into the next field. Just keep going. You know, I'm like just shoving cars in the back anywhere that they could be. And it grew and it just it's now it's just become this huge thing. Do you ever feel stuck in your life or like you're not completely aligned with your unique strengths and talents? Or maybe you want to do more and be more, but you just don't know how. We want to change that for you. We're going to help you explore the parts of you that are gutsy and resilient, the parts of you that have been shaped by your life experiences, the parts of you that want to live your life on purpose. Take the Discover Your Trailblazer Traits quiz today. It only takes three minutes. This quiz will show you how your unique combination of traits has helped to define how you see the world and your place in it. And here's the truth. We all have these traits, but we have them in greater or lesser degrees, which makes us all different. When you are certain about your unique value, then you can really shape the path you walk in your life. Take the Discover Your Traits quiz today and we'll help you forge a path that feels like coming home. Visit our website, www.trailblazerco.com forward slash traits dash quiz. That's T-R-A-I-T-S dash Q-U-I-Z. Or find us over on Instagram at trailblazerco and DM us the word traits quiz all together. Seeing this success, seeing the need, seeing how you've connected and you're building this, what kind of fire has that lit in you and how is that influencing what you're doing today? And what is that? We created the community of Gather First, which was truly to help other rural women entrepreneurs find connection and support and community that you don't get. Because we're not women that are going to go down to Working Women's Wednesday at the local martini bar and network. That's not something that rural women tend to gravitate for or want. And so Gather has been going for years now, and it's been a, just about that, bringing value education, bringing women together, getting them off Instagram, introducing and seeing connections happen. From that organically comes Market in the Mountains, which truly was a way to get the public to support these amazing women that I had met and these just awesome things that we had. Like I had no idea some of this stuff was happening in my own backyard because I wasn't exposed to it until Gather. And then connecting the people that I knew that would love that with then those businesses that were working so hard. So we get to market and I'm like, okay, now all of a sudden, financially, this is much more long-term because I can profit from market. I never wanted to profit off Gather. That's never been my goal. Yeah. That's never been a business decision. That was a cup filling decision, but it's a lot of work. It's a whole separate Instagram page. It's events twice a year. It's speakers. And just then trying to cultivate the community, right? It takes a lot of time, that back and forth and that investment in showing up. But I'm not profiting off of it. And it's taking a lot from me and my family and my business. So now we have market. And it not only benefits those. I mean, we had some vendors that topped $8,000 in sales. 
in one day last year. Amazing. How do you put a value on that as a small community whose stores probably, I mean, with the exception of maybe like the gas in the grocery store, like the small, you know what I mean? Who here is seeing $8,000 in revenue in a day in person? And so then we go into market and it's sort of shown me, okay, so you can profit off of these, off of, of this idea and these businesses in a way that doesn't feel icky, right? Like, cause gather uh, to, to raise ticket prices on that. It doesn't feel right. It just cover my costs and, and let's enjoy it for what it is. Okay. Market, I can profit off of it. I have this exponential ability to grow it, right? Like I can sell as many tickets as I want to market as long as I can park the cars. As long as there's room for parking and there's enough food, we've got plenty of space. We're not a fairgrounds that's like limited to an occupancy or anything like that. Which then, so that's sort of shown me as I've started doing all that, then people have started coming to me and asking, how did you find these women? How did you create this community? How did you build Market in the Mountains? I want to do the same thing where I'm at. And I started fielding all these DMs again with the DMs, like it's a whole theme with me. And so now this year I'm leaning in and stretching myself to to have the faith that I know enough and I am smart enough and articulate enough to be able to teach other women what I know. And so I'm leaning into education somewhere. We're doing a retreat because we've seen gather women come in from, I think, I mean, we've had as far away as like 10, 12 hours. We'll drive in for gather. And so then we usually have a house and we all stay at the house and then go to the event. And that in the house is a whole different feel than just going to the event itself, right? Because then you get your sweatpants on and you pour some wine after the event is over and you you sit there and you sort of, you feel way closer to those women. And so I wanted to take that and then, okay, how do we replicate that? That looks like a retreat. So this year we're doing our workhorse retreat. Second weekend of April is what it is. And we have one spot left is it. I mean, it, we sold seven spots in, I think like 24 hours for that to bring women in. We're going to bring them here. I'm going to teach. I mean, there's no gatekeeping, right? There's no like, hey, come to my $2,000 retreat and then I'm going to upsell you for a $5,000 course. That's not the point. They come here, they get full access, unfettered. Like any question, if I have the answer, you get it. This is a one and done. And then we'll do gather in the summer. I'm really excited to dig into who's going to keynote speak and what that event is going to look like. We're sort of shifting that a little bit more and then market in the fall. But we've been asked so many times already by women that have really busy spring seasons if we're going to do another workhorse retreat. And I've tried to push into doing some more stuff online. So online workshop in events because I I swear I say I've dealt with everything, but we all know in a cop's world, right? Like the minute you think you've seen it all, you will see something even crazier. But we're talking, you know, drunk caterers. We're talking monsoons. We're talking ticket snafus, like been there, done that. I'm going to try to put all of that together in a course so that if women want to host events and are feeling like, that's cool. Yeah. Someone said, you know, I took a class once and it said, make sure you had plates and, and alcohol at two beers per person per hour and tables. And I'm like, no, we're going to talk about more than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Here's all the other things yeah. that can go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And here's how like, we don't have the perfect place. I mean, we bring in bathroom. I don't have bathrooms dedicated bathrooms for 65, much less 1300s. Here's how we got around that. Here's how we make it work at the ranch. Here's what we've done for out-of-town guests. How, we don't have a hotel close. So what does that look like? How to be creative around that? And so 
I'm really excited to push into that more. I'm really excited to see what market turns out this year. We're opening applications for market businesses. I said the middle of this month, I've still got like a day or two to pull that off to, to like hit my deadline for myself. And so I'm excited to see what businesses are coming in for that. I'm just really excited to see what it shapes up to because I think it's really been a long road of like chipping away and pulling and pulling and pulling against so many different things and really having to create something from where there wasn't anything. I mean, that's been a three-year process. And three years, I mean, in the in the span of a lifetime, three years isn't a long time, but the amount of learning that you've had has been incredible. So one of the things that we talked about in your feature interview, Jess, was that you, you said you've been shaped by the women and experiences that have come into your life. And I would think in the last three years with Gather and Market in the Mountains, that's been a lot of women. In what ways have they shaped you? Like what other capacities have they caused you to dig in and figure out and and acknowledge that you've built in yourself? What would that be? I think it's so different depending on, I mean, every woman, right, has these amazing attributes and qualities in seeing and meeting and being exposed to so many different women and building different relationships with different ones. They influence you each so individually. Like I just talked about this on my stories about how you can see attributes in the women that you meet, right, that you want more of in yourself. Like I have this one friend that's just incredibly sensitive to anyone and everything. Like she feels so deeply what you're going through. And I'm like, man, I wish I was more like that because there's been times when I've just ran over something or someone and not realized that, you know, what what their feelings were doing and things. And and that goes across the board. I've got other women that are so outspoken and so bold and so passionate. And and every single one that I meet shows me something, shows me something that I would want to be, something that I want more of, or they show me a capacity that women hold for others. Like when you truly have a community that really works so hard to not fall into those traps that we as women, like in toxic culture and things like that, and work so hard to epitomize like the rural attributes, right? The hardworking and the dedicated and the loyal and the the caregivers, the ability to like lift everyone up. That's what these women have shown me is like what it means to truly have a community that like the tent blew over. And I don't even have to do anything but like put it up on my stories. Hey, I'm having a really bad day. Like I just lost my huge commercial tent to a windstorm. And I've got nine women that are like, we're there. Like, when, how, what do you need? Do you need us to bring food to feed the people to help you to tear it down? Do you need a truck? Do you need trailers? And they will just blow you away with their capacity to give, even when you know it's not convenient for them to stop and and do that. Like, they've all got lives. They've all got other things going on. But when you when you have this, like, community that at the end of the day would do anything for anyone else, it really just continuously like humbles you and shows you and teaches you lessons and how to be a better person. We had one of our, our, our ladies, her mom passed away right at planting time. And another woman had a phenomenal idea. Let's go plant her garden for her. She's like 4,000 plugs getting delivered and she's on the other side of the state and let's go, go plant. But she didn't have like connection to the, all the women. So she was able to message me. I was able to put something up. 
um, not my idea, but just being able to facilitate that and show up for that woman in that time. We are so capable of so many great things and of really fostering this thing as long as we don't allow ourselves to fall into those sort of like stereotypical traps. I'm so glad that you circled back around to bringing up community because we started off our chat today with with mentioning that that's what seemed really predominant in your article. And so, Jess, why do you think that community is so important in the world today? Because there's a lot of division and strife around that. And yet here you are in your part of the world and reaching out online, building it. Why do we need it? Why do we not need it, I think, is the bigger question. You look at the times that we have, right? And we've become such a plugged-in yet isolated society, right? Like we're plugged in and we're on all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. But when a crisis hits, you can't jump on the internet and get strangers to help you. It's the people that you can call when the cows are out that will actually drive down the road and help you put them back in. Or when you're on vacation and you know, I don't know, there's a house fire or something. Can you, I need you to go check my house. Those are the people that truly at the heart of it are your community. And I just saw something great that said it used to be we only knew what our family and our few closest neighbors were doing, right? And now we know what everybody is doing everywhere in the world at every minute of time. We're so intertwined. But there's so much value in building those relationships with people that you can physically get to. That's why I like always focus on local and like, yes, I, I love creating community with women in New York and Alberta and, and Florida. But at the end of the day, like if the Internet is gone tomorrow, which we all know it can, right? Like it can be it can be gone. Instagram can be gone. Your page can be deleted. Who do you have? Who do you really have? And who can you pick up your phone with and count to be there for you? And who who truly kind of continues, but, it, but it's this like never ending cycle of you only have as good a community as the women or the people that are pouring into it, right? We can talk about community all we want, but if the community doesn't show up, each of those people doesn't pour into it, you really have nothing either. And I think people forget that because it's really easy to get really busy and you're chasing your own dreams and you're doing your own stuff and it's not convenient Community is not convenient, but it's necessary. And people need to remember that. And it always blows my mind when someone's page gets deleted and then they come back and they're just like, oh, I got to start from nothing. I lost everything. Or when Instagram's down for the day and the businesses are like, oh my God, how do we make sales? And it's like, you show up for the people that are there because those people will be looking for yeah. you. If you're a local business and you're involved in your community and all of a sudden Instagram is gone, it's going to be the kids who you sponsored their soccer team. Their moms are going to come back in and shop with you. And they're going to come and support you. And like the internet is great and it opens up so many pathways and sales and all this other stuff. But trying to remind people to come back around to places you can get to with a car or horse if you had to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I know Erin has a question to ask here as we wrap up. But do you recognize that you've created yourself and built yourself? into the kind of woman that is attracting all these amazing women. I don't know. It just kind of even makes me feel I emotional. I can see your lip quiver, Mom. To say <laughs> but, you know, so often Erin and I, we zip from one thing to the next. And I just want to stop you here right now and say that the empathetic woman and the 
go-getter woman and all these women that you are attracting into community who will help you at the drop of the hat, do you recognize that you must have those things in yourself to be able to attract? And what would you say to that? Wow, you're going to make me, your lip quivers, my eyes water. (laughs) I think that's hard. It's a hard thing to look in the mirror and sit and look at yourself and focus on positives, not negatives, because I always kind of see how I could do better, how I could be better or ways that you mess up. That's kind of the easier focus. So it's hard. It's hard to sit in that. I would hope that's how people feel about it. I would hope that the women that want to be around me and want to be involved in this feel that way because I wouldn't I wouldn't want them to feel any other way but the sitting in the realization of that that's really hard and what a wonderful catalyst that your dad has been like I was listening to that too and how he's it's just like he's pushed you to grow even though you know you've been irritated or this or that or questioned or whatnot so but that, um, but yeah. he's pushed you to grow and now you're growing and now he wants to be a part of that growth. Yeah. And in turn, he's also growing, right? Because he's, he's having his mind and heart opened to completely new possibilities of what you're creating in this blank page, really, that is Moose Valley Ranch. And, yeah. and I think I, I just want to acknowledge in you also, Jess, this is why you are a feature in our spring issue. This is why we chose you. This is why you are a trailblazer because you've taken and look what you've created out of nothing and the spirit with which you do it and of community and your passion. And it's just an incredible story. You can inspire a lot of women. I hope so. I hope that I inspire I hope that other women go back and see the value in their own local community. And I hope that other women realize how important it is to get off the pages of Instagram as much as we all and I am too are invested and spend time at it. But how important that is. And I hope that more women want to start more things like this. I mean, I truly do. It's not about just self-serving. When you create a community like this, you can find a way to support yourself monetarily. But like without that community... There would not have been market in the mountains like there, that wouldn't have been profitable if I had just started one day without investing in my community to create that. It would have flopped because there would have been no support. I mean, try to describe that to someone, right? Like it doesn't work until you have pretty pictures to share. But that's so incredibly important. And I hope that more women realize just how important that is. What would be your one piece of advice? A woman is listening to you. And she's got these big plans on her heart and maybe not the support of anyone around her, but she wants to give it a go. What would be your piece of advice that you would tell her? Don't let anyone stop you. Mm -hmm. Come hell or high water, find a way and don't be afraid to fail because if you fail, it's inevitable. It's your choice afterwards that makes the difference in your trajectory. So you're going to fail. 110% you're going to fail. And that doesn't have to be a negative. It's how you it's how you change that and how what you learn from that failure and how you take it and run with it. But man, somebody tells you no, do it anyways. <laughs> I know that's more. your motto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. this has just been really wonderful to talk with you. Aaron and I just we just get so entranced by your storytelling because you have a way of, 
you know, weaving. Yes, the crumbs. <laughs> we just following the crumbs. I feel like it's been a whole journey. Yeah. <laughs> Just such a pleasure having you on here. And for all of our listeners, what is the best way to get in touch with you? What are your Instagram handles, website, all the good stuff? Plug away. Everything is Moose Valley Ranch. It's moosevalleyranch.com. It's Moose Valley Ranch on Instagram and Facebook. All one word, no underscores. Super simple. You can always send me a DM or an email if you need help in some capacity starting something or a keynote speaker or just want to explore that some more. Reach out. I'm always happy to just point. There's no gatekeeping in my world. So I will point you in whichever direction and come find and connect with us. Like we've got a great thing going on. And if you can come to Market in the Mountains in September 21st and 22nd of this year, it, it's so much fun. And it's just this whole Western, you know, if you love that Western and rural lifestyle and you want to shop and listen to good music, that's where you want to be. Well, I, I think we actually, for, for us to come, what was it, like eight hours? Yeah, an hour it's drive? not bad it's for not. a drive. Get in the car. No, get get in the car. Come on down. Maybe John and Luca, <laughs> we're doing it for them. <laughs> yeah. I have heard they don't have shopping like that in Canada. I would assume there's maybe something at like the Calgary Stampede and like Penticton and stuff, but I don't know how good the shopping is for those events. I haven't ever gone up for it. So you guys should come down and shop. I think we should. We I mean, want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Well, okay. thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Wasn't that such a great conversation? If you're like us and love learning through the power of storytelling, head on over to our website, www.trailblazerco.com for loads of valuable stories and ideas, just like from today's episode. And while you're at it, be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter and have Trailblazer insights from yours truly, recipes, DIYs, and more delivered straight to your inbox every week. Catch you next time, Trailblazers.